Welcome to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Join the podcast mogul Phil Better as he interviews successful entrepreneurs that make their living in the digital world. Now, let's join your host, Phil Better, and his special guest today on Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Today, we are we have a special guest. They 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 live a very interesting mostly analog life so we're very happy to have them here in the digital world but they are an author that wrote an instructional manual for self-salvation that comes not from enlightenment observations made atop a mountain in the clouds but from the mud his qualifications is no no better than yours but rather that he is at one time was much worse than where you are he like i said lives a mostly analog life teaching neuroplasticity workouts to high-performing teams in new york recovering tech expats in miami and juvenile delinquents in las vegas please everybody put your hands together for our guest today charles morgan charles how's it going everybody uh, thanks so much for having me phil and for that wonderful introduction very welcome i it's uh it's a pleasure to have you here charles and uh, i can't thank you enough to be here and share your story um we did chat a bit before the podcast started rolling but I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. I know I read off this beautiful intro, but that's all it was, was a, a beautiful bunch of words. But tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe something most people don't know about yourself. Uh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I um, yeah, I was uh, a fairly normal person at one point. And then, uh, you know, my, my mom saw that I like to play with Legos and she was like, oh, you like to build things. You're going to be a great engineer. And I was like, you know, I was like five years old. I was like, what's, what's an engineer? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. But the best engineers go to go to MIT. And I was like, oh, what's MIT? And then she was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and that but that set me on the path, you know, and it was, um, you know, my Chinese tiger mom really made sure that math and science was all I could speak. And uh, I did get into that school and I did study science. Yeah, I was an electrical engineer, material scientist. I was working on solar cells and batteries, had had no intention of becoming an entrepreneur. Um, just really wanted to solve the energy crisis you know that was my like i w woke up every day doing these quantum physics equations you know trying to figure out how to make a new battery and uh then my junior year uh or rather no my son this between second and third year i got an internship at a really exciting semiconductor startup in boston and uh, you know it was like you know spin out of an mit lab one of the co-founders was a professor it was funded by bp it was just like as cool as it could get in terms of uh being you know wanting to work on energy and like being curious about startup but no it's still still not even thinking about starting a company and uh i learned that the the chief science officer of this startup had two phds right one in physics one in material science from boston college from mit he uh he was making less money annually than the kid that just graduated and got a job at Facebook <laughs> Wow! from my fraternity. You know, this was like the time when everybody was getting their offer letters. And this was crazy, man. It was, you know, now, now we've got all these uh, massive tech layoffs. But, you know, circa 2012, 2013, uh, there, there was the famous Facebook 100, 100, 100 offer, right? 100K first year salary, uh, 100,000 options and a 100k signing bonus it's not a myth like we had kids walking around with like half half when you sign 50k half when you show up for your first day <laughs> all right and you're telling me i got to go to school for 10 years like this guy 
to get two PhDs to make less than a 22 year old software engineer. No, no, I'm just going to learn how to program. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I did, you know, I, uh, I just, you know, put myself on a schedule. Like I, um, you know, had printed out a calendar and like every day, you know, minimum 30 minutes of programming a day. And some days it would turn into hours. You get into the flow state. And my, my first job out of college was at a big tech company and I worked, uh at a cybersecurity firm in palo alto and um you know it was really just some of the most amazing engineers that you could you could hope for and they really taught me how to think about data how to think about you know the movement uh around uh unstructured structured data uh, artificial intelligence that's being trained on that data something very relevant with the the release of all these AI tools in the next in the last few months, you know, and like GPT, Midjourney, Dolly. So, you know, all these things come down to data, right? And, uh, you know, I just got the Silicon Valley bug, you know, this, uh, you know, they, the recruiters, they definitely all hired us on the premise of like, you know, if you want to save the world, like come do software, you know, and then you get into these big tech companies and nobody's saving the world, man. <laughs> We're making, making money hand over fist, right? And, uh, Anytime that uh, I would propose to one of my managers, like, you know, hey, like we could use the software for this really cool thing, you know, uh, that they're like, oh, who's going to pay for it? It's all right. We'll, <laughs> we'll let somebody else do that. And anyway, so my friends and I from school, we, uh, we left and started our, our first company together. Uh, we very much wanted to like test this idea of like, you know, if software could save the world, you know, what's going on in the world, like, you know, philanthropy, philanthropy, mm -hmm. sort of the business of saving the world. What's the software stack look like? And, um, you know, we, we did our thing. You know, we, we, we built a couple of products. We raised some money. We got some customers. We had, like, a really nasty co-founder breakup. <laughs> and, uh, like, when we, when we grew from, like, we were, like, three co-founders. And then one of them, he was just like, no, nah, I'm just going to go back to Google. Startup life wasn't for him. It's all good. And then me and the other guy continued. And then we grew. And then, poof, explosion. And that was... You know, that was, it was after this uh, little explosion that my, my lead investor, he, he met with me and uh, he gave me this book. <laughs> this book was called Nonviolent Communication. <laughs> and this book changed my life. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he said that, uh, he said to me, he's like, this is not the first time that you're going to have a company extinction event, but this is the last time that you let it get this bad. And he gave me this book and he was like, you know, he explained to me that most companies i mean this guy has invested as an angel investor in like hundreds of companies so he's seen founders come and go and he's like you know the, the thing that kills startups is not a bad idea bad business model these things can make it so that your business never gets off the ground but the thing that kills a working business is co-founder drama whether it's a, a dispute uh between the co-founders themselves it's you know one of them had some like insane personal event that's preventing them from working preventing them from focusing right they talk about how so many new companies fail every year, but they don't really talk about, you know, like you know, the specific reasons why. And like the, the seasoned investors know just from firsthand, like talking to their founders, that most of these situations come down to personal or interpersonal issues. And these are these are the landmines. And, you know, that that got me very interested. And, um, you know. Stayed in the game, of course, you know, started another company with the friends and we raised some more money and got some more customers and then you know, eventually I got burned out. Eventually I got burned out and, uh, well, but not to the same degree that others did, because clearly I'm still in the game. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the thing 
that took me some time to realize. Uh, but what separated me from my my friends and peers that we all started companies around the same time together. A lot of them are in jobs a lot, that they hate. You know, just back to the grind. You know, and you know, it's the ones that did go back and take big tech jobs. A couple of them are now out of a big tech job, and it's just, you know, they're back in the game. But the point is, is that. You know, I had this foundation, this this Chinese foundation where my mother raised me as a Buddhist and I've been meditating since I was a kid. And um, I didn't think that it was that valuable <laughs> until uh, we had like this 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 kind of blow up with my my first company's co-founding team. And uh, one of the guys that was not part of the co-founding group, but definitely one of the senior guys that was working with us, uh, he had given me a book about Buddhism because uh, he knew that I was into it, but um, that really kind of kick-started. I mean, when you're a kid and you're going to church, right, when you're, like, when my mom was taking me to Buddhist temple, like, you know, you're you're there, but you don't really get it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really get why people are chanting, you don't really get why people are meditating, you don't really get why people are praying, and then it's, it's age, and uh, it's these interactions that you run into, and in your, in your business life, in your personal life, it doesn't matter what label you put on it, they're people, right? These are people that are, you know, doing things together that are um, taking things from each other that are saying that they're going to get something done at a certain time and then not doing it and the other person has an over emotional reaction and then that turns into a fight and now you don't have a company anymore right these little kind of things that uh you know protecting yourself from emotional hijacking is like really the only thing that one can do and there's not a lot of curriculum I would say out here for the entrepreneurs that are just gay, especially the first timers, right? Like I remember when I started my first company, like I thought my VCs were my friends. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought they were my, they were my like advisors and trusted colleagues. You know what I mean? Like they, they wanted me to succeed. They were financially interested in my success, but no, man, then that was a, you know, and not, a not too expensive lesson to learn at the time, but important, but an important one that like a lot of folks that, especially in the early twenties, starting companies and even, you know, kids are starting companies even younger now, like with chat GPT, you don't even know how to, you don't even need to know how to program. You can code an app. <laughs> so, um, you know, the earlier that it comes, the more uh, I feel like this kind of education in terms of like, do you know what kind of job you're signing up for? Because this isn't like, you know, going in like enlisting in, you know, boot camp, right? This is like Navy SEAL training. Like being an entrepreneur is lonely. It's difficult. It's, you know, like everybody in your life is just going to tell you to get a job. So you have to be a little bit crazy, a little bit defiant, right? But then you also have to be grounded in the reality of the market. And if you don't have your feet in the ground and your head in the clouds, you really can't make it in this game. Right. And so you need strategies, you know, you need like Navy SEALs can do more pushups than normal people for a reason. Right. Entrepreneurs need to have stronger mental fitness than other people for a reason, because this job is tough and it's traumatic. And so th that brought you to write this book. It did. It did. Where I, um, you know, I didn't I didn't you know, I wanted to basically assemble all of the modern neuroscience on anxiety, depression, PTSD, uh, burnout, you know, just kind of these things that I've been, you know, dealing with myself, you know, in terms of like keeping it at bay, but then also watching my friends completely succumb, succumb to it. Uh, and, you know, sort of that by assembling all that, we revealed there's one part of the brain that is like the main villain in each of them. And it's called the amygdala. This is that, that, that uh, word that I said when we first got on. Yes, I, could, I can't pronounce, whatever um, that word, the science fiction word that's in the brain. 
it's Latin for almond because this part of the brain looks like an almond when they were dissecting brains in the beginning, right? Um, and so this, this part of the brain is, is essential uh, to the limbic system. And the limbic system has to do with like your, your, your prediction of pleasure versus your prediction of pain, right? And it turns out that the amygdala is the thing that encodes extremely positive and extremely me uh, negative memories on your long-term memory. Right, it is like the critical like with and with what happens with PTSD is that uh, the amygdala is just like so overwhelmed by the experience of what's happening that uh, it just short circuits essentially. And what this does in the neuroscience is very clear is that even if you were not an asshole before, if you have a traumatic inf incident, and it doesn't need to be going to war and like, it doesn't need to be divorce. Right, it could be, just be like you started a company with your best friend. And five years later, he betrays you for the bank account and like just you know, everything that you built together, right? Not but, being but, specific or anything. That, that, that actually did not happen to me. <laughs> that's just, that's just, it was uh, just a nice segue. It's like, yeah, that does not sound like something that happened to him. He does not hold a grudge, no. But it happens and it happens in a lot of different variations. And we sweep it all under the rug by saying it's not personal. It's just business. This label is meaningless. We're humans. These are humans doing things to each other. And the trauma is the same. And the neuroscience is clear that if you have experienced one of these traumatic episodes and your amygdala gets short-circuited, it you know, becomes dysfunctional, smaller in size, and you have bipolar. Like you just all of a sudden <laughs> have bipolar tendencies. All right now, as a business leader that needs to keep your head cool under pressure, having this chink in your mental armor is unacceptable. For anybody that wants to really win, for anybody that really cares about high performance, for anybody that really cares about just getting the bag, like you have this chink in your mental armor because you want to tough it out and say like, oh, I don't have PTSD. Like, fuck you. Can I, can I curse on the show? I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, you're, you're, there's only one hard rule. I should have mentioned that beforehand. It's the C word, which is famous by Brits and Aussies, but yeah. you're not a Brit or an Aussie, so we're fine there. So yeah, you can swear. Yeah. Don't worry about it. But it's this, it's this thing and it's, you know, it's this such a small part of your brain, but it has such a huge effect on your total consciousness, right? In the sense that like sensory input, things that you see, things that you hear, things that you smell, they go straight to the amygdala and then the amygdala creates an emotional hormonal response instruction that it gives to the rest of the brain, right? So even if somebody said something to you and it wasn't on an intellectual level bothering you, it could have triggered one of these little psychic dysfunctions, these little traumatic episodes. <clears throat> and now your body's starting to secrete cortisol. And within a few seconds, you're angry and you feel like you're, you're, you just don't know why that you're angry, but you know that you're angry, right? And if you can't recognize this cortisol norepinephrine spike in your bloodstream, like, in, in the sense of uh, feeling how your body feels, you're stuck. You're stuck. What happens when you get into a fight or flight response? You stop breathing, right? And uh, it's, you know, this, this method that I teach in the book that, uh, you know, there's, there's three levels to these neuroplastic workouts, but these are, you know, specific, a specific style of breath combined with a specific mantra from Buddhism that targets and grows a specific part of the brain. And there's three levels to it. There's, you know, first, you know, sort of like the concentration nodes of the brain. And then there's, you know, we can get into it, we can get into it, but ultimately, you know, this this shirt that I'm wearing, you know, it says, show me your amygdala, size matter, right? Because what they found in scanning the brains of these people with traumatic brain injuries and, and PTSD is that it's dysfunctional. But when they scanned 
these yogis and these Buddhists, these fMR functional MRI machines, they, they scan these yogis and these Buddhists that have been meditating for 10,000 plus hours, they have five times larger amygdala than normal people. They are immune to emotional hijacking. And we call it Zen. <laughs> like, oh, he's so chill. It's like, no, he went through the entire emotional spike, but he returned to baseline faster than you. And that's the superpower, right? This, this, this superhuman peace of mind, the superhuman compassion, it's not foo-foo-ra-ra. It's a hardware upgrade. Their amygdalas are five times larger. It's that simple. <laughs> and we don't need to make it more complicated, right? And this has incredible uh, ramifications in terms of what uh, this knowledge and this practice can do uh, for your business, for your life, for your relationships with all the people that are in that business and that life. I, I want to get a tip because... This is something that's super, super interesting to me because I've been listening to um, Huberman's Lab yes. podcast. It's an amazing thing. I'm, I'm trying. I understand. Like now that I see science, it's like okay, yeah, this isn't someone just saying no, it works. And here's some anecdotal evidence. No, there's scientific proof because we do live in a scientific, more scientific world. And what you're saying makes sense. And I would love if you could share with us a tip. Someone who does who may have may not realize they have some trauma in back that gets triggered that mm -hmm. can start doing maybe a task or something that can help them build their amygdala. I think I said it right. You um, did. Yeah. Excellent. I'm not going to try and say it again, but they can help start growing it maybe mm -hmm. short, slowly, but start healing it so that they can, you know, start becoming more Zen like when their, their issues arise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, we, we've got the time. I can take us through uh, basically neuroplastic workout level one. Um, sure. Let's go ahead and do that. Let, let's have that live on the, the podcast. Let's go ahead yeah. and do this, Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We call it, I call it Never Skip Joy Day. All right. And so uh, what it is, is a combination of, so there, there's, there's two components to a stress response or an angry response, right? And that is the physical component in terms of how your blood chemistry is changing in response to the stress hormones. And then there's the mental trigger, which is like kind of like the like as, as soon as you, you know, I mean, if, if anybody that goes to therapy will, you know, like they'll say, they'll, they'll tell their therapist something, they'll say, how did that make you feel? And it's like, like the first time that they thought about, oh, how did that, how did that make me feel? Right. And so this practice, right, in terms of like, the physical side of things is we're training our bodies to sense the cortisol spike and catch our breath, right? You, you, your, your breath shortens and we're training our muscle memory to take a long, slow, deep breath, uh, which will reset the, the spike and bring you back to baseline. But then on the other side, what we're doing is, you know, by, by doing this uh, breathing, we're, bre we're taking more deep breaths in a minute than you normally would. So we're super oxygenating our blood. Right, we're hyper oxygenating our blood, and what that does temporarily is it changes the blood pH and it creates this kind of like very interesting physical sensation. But it also puts our brains into a highly plastic state, a highly malleable state. And for all the people out there doing yoga uh, that are meditating uh, without mantra, you're you're just you're wasting this juicy, delicious neuroplastic state where you can reprogram your mind to think anything. Right. And this is why uh, for the first layer of uh, when people you know, enter, enter my realm and enter the, the practice that uh, 
that uh, my friends and I are into is that uh, you, you have to build up the foundation of joy because most of us through atrophy, through conditioning, through whatever, we're just tuned to, to spot the most negative things that happen in our day. You know, like you have all these people talking about journaling and talking about like, like gratitude, right? So this is why we take these eight long, slow, deep breaths paired with the eight pillars of joy from Buddhism, right? And so, you know, for um, yourself and you know, any, anybody listening, uh, what, you, what I have folks do is you grabbing a blank sheet of paper, right? And then you write, you turn, turn it uh, sideways, so like landscape style, and then write joy in the middle in big letters, right? Just three letters, joy. And then along the, uh, the two sides, we're going to have the eight pillars, right? So four, four on each side. The first one is the joy of changing your perspective, right? And this is the, the intellectual joy. It's like, like, no matter how crappy a situation is, it's like, if you can reform a new narrative with the same set of facts so that you're less upset, there's like some intellectual giddiness that can happen when you do that on the fly. And I've experienced it, you know, didn't believe it at first, then we'll get to that. But uh, the second one is the joy of humility. Uh, the joy that can be found in like coming up with a, you know, just joy and humility, right? Just uh, think about it that way. And then the joy and humor is the third one. Uh, then the fourth is the joy of acceptance. The fifth is the joy and forgiveness. And then the joy and generosity, joy and gratitude, joy and compassion. Uh, now I can tell you as an entrepreneur, I specifically had problems with acceptance and forgiveness. <laughs> Right. I, I would say most people do. I think that is the the one that we all we're we're missing. And what's funny is I was wa I was just watching a TikTok, and like I love how TikTok the algorithm is scary at times because mm -hmm. it, yeah. it gives you what you need, and you didn't really know you needed it. And it was talking about how uh, the hero story, and how the mm -hmm. hero story is one of the stories that the elders would tell the youth, right? Mm -hmm. and it's it's more entertaining it's black and white it's easy to understand and for a teenager you know an adolescence it's easy to follow and it's it deals with all this complex because you're learning hormones and all this but later on you learn the 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 middle age story from the elder because they're teaching that lessons that we need to learn but because we've gotten into this society i think we've learned we didn't get taught the lessons of how to learn to forgive how to learn to accept from the stories from our elders because we're in that disconnected world so i love how it's kind of been replayed mm -hmm. here with you sharing that uh, on the the buddhist side as well and, and the thing is is these stories right the, the hero journey the hero myth these these you know we we are aware of these stories of forgiveness if if just implicitly through you know disney movies right like they, they like you know they're they're I mean, there are only a few archetypal stories that really get the people going and you, know, you sprinkle a little teenage love story in there and that's every movie that comes out of hollywood <laughs> <laughs> just a bit of love and it's hollywood a little teenage love story you know it's got to be the teenage love story <laughs> yeah but, um yeah yeah no and and so the thing about this uh style of practice and i'm glad you brought up the, the kind of the narrative angle of this because like i, I feel that so much uh, meditation in the Western world is taught uh, prescriptively in the sense of like, this is what you need to think. And that is uh, very much an inertia from the way that the kind of the Western world can, you know, treats, you know, every discipline of study, you know, as, as a scientist, I, I can tell you, you know, we're critical first, right. Um, but the way that this works in terms of like the mantra is that like you're using the breath 
to still the mind, right? Imagining that the mind is like an ocean with waves and it's got currents underneath and it's got waves on top and it's all just fucked, you know? <laughs> Scumbag <laughs> brain is always messing with you, right? And so what we're doing here is we're, we're breathing in a very strange way. And so, you know, forgive me, it's a little strange, but this is the technology, right? Um, but we're by, by breathing in this strange way, we're focusing mentally. Our conscious focus is on how your stomach and chest and rib cage is moving. And then as we're breathing, you think the joy of changing your perspective, right? You just have nothing. You don't, and you, do, you like, like you use the breath to still the mind pond and you use the words to drop a rock in the pond. Let the ripples go where they go. Don't even pay attention to where they go. Just we're breathing in long, slow, deep. Joy in changing your perspective. Joy in changing your perspective. Joy in changing your perspective. We get to the top. We take it another breath to open the rib cage. We take another breath to open the collarbones. Take another breath. Think joy in changing your perspective. Exhale th slowly through the nose. You know, it's like thinking joy and changing your perspective all the way down, all the way down, right? And then at the bottom of the breath, we're pulling the belly button in squeezing it squeeze 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 like we're feeling like we're pushing all the air out of our lungs through the diaphragm and then relax the belly breathe in joy and acceptance counting to eight on the way up thinking joy and acceptance joy and acceptance joy and acceptance. at the top breathe in some more open the rib cage joy and acceptance breathe in some more sorry joy <laughs> joy and humility was the one but we're so we can we can go with acceptance for now we'll just go out of order breathe in some more out slowly through the nose, thinking joy and acceptance. All the way to the bottom, squeezing the belly button tight, squeeze, 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 joy and acceptance, joy and acceptance. Relax the belly, breathe in, joy and humility. Long, slow, deep, counting to eight. At the top, bring in some more, joy and humility. In some more, open the collarbones, joy and humility. In some more, out slowly. At the bottom, squeezing the belly button, join humility, join humility, let the ripples go where they go. Focus on the squeeze, relax, breathe in, join humor. Thinking all the way up, join humor, join humor, breathe at the top, open the ribs, breathe in some more, join humor. Breathe in some more. In one more time. Out slowly through the nose. At the bottom, squeezing the belly button. We're skipping over acceptance. We're gonna think about the joy and forgiveness. Okay, relax the belly, breathe in, joy and forgiveness. At the top, in some more, open the ribs, joy and forgiveness. In some more, joy and acceptance, or joy and forgiveness, open the collarbones. In some more, out slowly. This is a slow, controlled exhale. Do not do a, a powerful sigh that's wasting the energy. Slowly exhaling to the bottom. Squeeze the belly button. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Relax, breathe in. Joy and gratitude. At the top, in some more. Open the ribs. In some more. Open the collarbones. In some more. Out slowly. Joy and gratitude. At the bottom, squeezing the belly button, squeeze, 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 push all the air out of your lungs, the most important part. Relax, breathe in, join generosity. At the top, in some more, open the ribs, join generosity. In some more, open the collarbones, join generosity. In some more, out slowly. 
the bottom, squeezing, squeezing, joint generosities, joint generous, squeeze, squeeze. Relax the belly, breathe in, joy and compassion. At the top, in some more, open the ribs, joy and compassion. In some more, open the collarbones. In some more. All right, this is the last breath. Exhale slowly, joy and compassion. Thinking joy and compassion all the way down, all the way down as we get to the bottom. Squeeze the belly button like we did before. Exhale, squeeze the belly button. Now we're going to engage the root lock, the root lock, the mulabandha. This is like the, the Kegel exercise muscle. So keeping your breath held at the bottom, no air in your lungs. Squeezing the belly button, squeezing the root lock. Hold, don't breathe in. Or don't, yeah. Now take a huge breath in. At the top, squeeze the belly button in the root lock. Breathe in some more. Open the rib cage. Squeeze. Breathe in some more. Open the collarbones. Squeeze the belly button root lock. Breathe in one more time. Squeeze. Put the tip of the tongue to the top of the mouth. Squeezing the belly button in the root lock. Hold. Don't breathe out. Now do a cannonball breath out. <sighs> relax the body, relax the breathing. Try not to fidget. Keep your eyes closed. feel wow that <laughs> was amazing there we go there we go juice man that's how you grow your amygdala it feels nice huh uh, it feels great it's such a weird sensation like i i had tried win hoff's breathing technique for a week and it felt amazing and then life and then i just never picked it up but that just I'm literally going to clip that and just have it play in my Spotify whenever I do my meditating, just have that go to help me do it. I, I can't thank you enough. And like, that's a huge value to my listeners. Um, what we're going to do now, we're going to jump to the spark question. Um, okay. Cause we are coming up on time, but I love that little, that was an amazing. Wow. Um, my brain's f messed <laughs> with, with just how like relaxed and calm I am. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're going to ask the spark question from yes theory for seeking discomfort. Um, it's to spark a uh, conversation between you and a friend, uh, uh, a stranger who's a friend you haven't met yet. What's one thing you would never want to change about yourself? Um, I would never want to change my love for music. Yeah, I think that uh, that music, much like breath, you know, is uh, a, a rhythmic container for life. And uh, like when I was a kid, as a, as a good little Chinese boy, I played the violin. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I got to high school, you know, I, I didn't play the violin anymore because, you know, the football was way better at talking to girls. <laughs> yeah, they, they, the women seem to choose the football over the, the violinist. <laughs> So that part of that part of my life uh, in terms of like playing music had been dormant, you know, for like 15 years until uh, 
until, you know, one thing led to another. And then, you know, you find yourself making a website for a world champion ballroom dancer. And then he pays you in private lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that's where I'm at now. And it's a good time. <laughs> that, that is insane. Yeah. Um, Charles, I'm going to jump off the screen here. I'm going to let you have the last little bit. Please let my audience know where they can follow you, where they can support you and everything in between the floor, sir, is yours. Oh, sure. Um, well, thanks, Phil. And uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening to our conversation. I hope you enjoyed the breathing exercise and, uh, you know, never skip joy day. Uh, the, it's very clear, the neuroscience, you know, you do this exercise that I showed you for 20 days, new neurons will grow. You do it for another 20 days, those neurons will solidify and you will feel psychologically, physically, you just heard him how incredible that felt physically but wait till you know, he does it for 20 days and um if you uh want to get in touch with me personally uh you can find me on instagram it's just at don't punk out uh we're also getting a youtube and a twitch stream going and uh you'll find us once a week on the twitch stream doing a live neuroplastic workout as we did just now but uh using uh, some very specific uh, containers that uh, will enable us to to grow our amygdalas even faster. Right, so uh, hope to see you all there. And uh, if you like what we got going on, then give us a follow, give the book, uh, give the book a buy, and uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. Awesome, Charles. I want to thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for that breath work. Um, it's going to be an invaluable. Uh, uh thing for me to uh use like, i i still don't even know it's like a meditational device i think it's going to help me a lot um and help me calm my brain um because i felt such at a peace and like you were like you said you were just i was so present just concentrating on the breath that i didn't have time to think about anything else and it was so nice to be such a have a quiet mind um so thank you very much for that amazing gift um i can't i, I don't know how else to thank you um for do that. it every day you can oh i am me. i'm i'm literally going to be going to the youtube and <laughs> clipping it and just uploading it straight to my phone to have it um awesome, awesome. yeah i'm gonna check in with you you know <laughs> please do um to my audience make sure you check out the links down below uh to connect with charles make sure you check out the live stream i know i will because it's it's worked already this is how i feel right now and this was a small workout um i can't wait to uh, see what else you have coming down the pipeline charles and uh Remember to always, always invest in yourself.